0: Hey, y'all. Welcome to Open Airways, a podcast on medicine, health policy, and life in the bluegrass. I'm Jessica Adkins Murphy, but you can call me Jess. I'm a 29-year-old ER resident here in Kentucky, and um, I wear a few different hats. As a resident, I get to kind of work in the apprentice phase of being a doctor, where I've graduated med school, but I'm still under a supervising doctor working in an emergency department. And um, it's a great experience. I love my program and the environment that I get to work in. But I also get to spend some time as editor in chief of an emergency medicine publication. And I'm also a wife and a dog mom and a Proud Kentuckian, but I'm also a nerd for public health news, and I'm trying to have a better understanding of the ways that legislation and the world outside of the hospital affect our health and the health care that we can provide. Um, so that's why I started this podcast, Open Airways. I've called it that because the first most emergent thing we can do for our patients the ones with a pulse anyway, when they come through the door is to confirm that they have an airway that is patent meaning open and that nothing has interfered with their ability to breathe and communicate and tell us what's wrong with them. It's just as essential for us on both the patient side and the provider side and on the citizen side and the legislator side and in hospitals, the employer side and the employee side to maintain our ability to communicate about the issues that threaten our lives and our livelihood. Because when we don't have an open line of communication about these issues, we can't even begin to address them. And I also like that airways kind of sounds like airwaves, and this is the modern form of talk radio. I've always loved talk radio, so um, it's very exciting to me that it's so democratic now. Anyone can have their own talk radio show. (laughs) I should also mention that though I have a lot of different employers and a lot of different interests that have tied me to different groups, these opinions are my own. And um, I'm excited to be using this podcast to share my ideas about how we can improve some of these solutions and talk to interesting people that have their own ideas to impact these issues in our healthcare system. But that's not necessarily the opinion of my employers, yada, yada, yada. So the first issue that I wanted to analyze on this podcast is something that has been super close to my heart over the past few years, ever since I had a really bad week, my first month of residency, seeing this problem again and again. So I remember one shift in particular. Um, I had a patient who was A really young woman, I think she might have been about 22-ish, and she had just found out that she was pregnant a couple weeks prior. She was a little late for her period, took a home pregnancy test that was positive, but then had about four days of vaginal bleeding that started off just like spotting that can be normal at that phase of pregnancy, but went on to become more like a period Then she developed some cramping abdominal pain and became concerned enough to tell her mom who brought her into the emergency department. And I think her mom had already kind of prepared her that it might not be good news, but unfortunately it was my job to confirm for her that based on her lab test results and her ultrasound exam, she was currently pregnant but she had an extremely high likelihood of losing her pregnancy over the following week. And reasonably so, she was extremely distraught. What had first been a surprise pregnancy and was really overwhelming had grown to be something she was extremely excited about and looking forward to raising a child with her boyfriend. So I talked her through that with her mom. Um, You know, I, I was... Really upset, especially when you're in your first month of residency, you feel everything. There's not that coping mechanism of separating your emotions from the situation that you develop later on. So it hit me pretty hard. But after taking a, a minute, I went on and treated a few more patients and then saw another patient on the board with the same complaint pregnant and having vaginal bleeding. So The difference in this case, though, was that it was this young woman's sixth miscarriage. She had had a child who survived to term and was her child, her living child, but since then she had had five miscarriages and this would make her sixth. This one, fortunately, was not excruciating and it seemed to have already pretty much passed She kind of knew what to expect, and she was kind of there for a confirmatory ultrasound. But what was really sad about this was um, that when this patient was emotionally distraught, she asked me if she could please have three days off just to recover and spend some time with her partner. I don't know how I never really thought about the fact that Miscarriages are not covered as part of the funeral and bereavement leave policy at most employers. And that brings me to our topic today. Let's start with funeral leave. Funeral leave is in many standard benefit agreements that you sign when you take on a new job. It's generally paid and it's not earned over months. So even if you've only been working there for two weeks, most employers are decent enough that they will provide you with three or five days of paid leave um, to get your family members affairs in order. That's why you get five days if they're typically closer um, in in relation to you or three days, and some will even offer a couple of extra days if it requires extensive travel to get to the funeral. This is problematic in and of itself because I think this comes from a very white Anglo-Saxon Protestant idea of what a close family member is. I mean, especially when you think about how many people are raised by their grandparents, especially we see this in our like Appalachian patient population. There are a lot of little kids being raised by their grandparents. And that's basically apparent to them. I think if someone like that had just dis- dis- had designed these funeral leave policies, there would be no grandparents only garner three days off for funeral leave. Mm-hmm. Or if a if a hospital administration were run by, let's say, a majority Latino population, I imagine that there would probably be more consideration given to the way um, Latinos live in multi generational homes a lot more often. Um, So it's not as easy to define what kind of relative gets three days, what kind of relative gets five days, but that's a tangent for another day. Pregnancy loss, however, is almost never explicitly covered in standard benefit agreements. It usually has to be addressed from either the section of paid sick leave, which does usually have to be earned over months. Some will even encourage you to take it from your paid vacation leave, or you would have to use your family medical leave, but that's a much bigger process to apply for, and it's that's typically meant for people who are going to be out of work for weeks or months at a time. Not for the few days that people often are requesting to have off for bereavement of a pregnancy loss that's not complicated by extensive medical problems. And this is so unbelievable because... some estimates are as high as 20% of known pregnancies end in miscarriage or stillbirth. And we have countless instances of um, residents and nurses who have failures in assisted reproductive technology, IVF, in vitro fertilization, surrogacy agreements, and major adoption setbacks. And all of these different ways in which people anticipate that they're going to be able to build a family, but then have that fall through, can be excruciatingly painful in an emotional sense, let alone the medical complications that might be involved. Even if we're not addressing this from a sense of humanity and empathy perspective, it also has significant practical implications to work while you are acutely grieving. We have evidence to show that poor well-being and high levels of stress and burnout in healthcare staff are associated with poor patient safety outcomes, such as medical errors, and this is something that has been borne out time and time again in um, actual research studies, which I can link in the show notes. And there is no federal protection of funeral leave, let alone bereavement leave. The Fair Labor Standards Act and the Family and Medical Leave Act kind of are what we do have in favor of um, giving employees time off to tend to their own medical needs or the needs of a family member. But this does not require a U.S. employer to provide an employee with paid leave to attend a funeral, to grieve a family member, or to grieve a pregnancy loss. And if we leave it up to the employers, they aren't really making up the difference. Only 60% of private sector workers are granted paid funeral leave, according to a 2012 report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. That's the most recent I could find. And there aren't even numbers on how many employers offer bereavement leave. I think it is because it would be so paltry. It would be incredibly low this does not have to be the norm. Other countries have instituted different funeral and bereavement leave policies, like Canada and France do guarantee three to five days of funeral leave to employees suffering the loss of their close family member. And um, India and New Zealand have pregnancy loss laws. Indian women are entitled to six weeks of paid leave, but That's not very well enforced, according to some reports that I've read. Um, I can also link those in the show notes. But it seems that that's actually leave that's provided to upper middle class women who work for the government and have um, really nice jobs. A lot of working class women do not have that kind of um, leave that's actually regulated at at all or um, implemented. New Zealand women, on the other hand, do actually have three days of paid leave. And this applies to their partners as well, in case of pregnancy loss. And it seems that New Zealand is really leading the world on this. I would love if someone could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think New Zealand is has really the most revolutionary uh, national policy for bereavement leave. So what we need is paid bereavement leave for pregnancy loss and um, other events that are impacting pregnancy and fertility, like unsuccessful rounds of. Um, intrauterine insemination, other issues with assisted reproductive technology procedures, failed adoption agreements, failed surrogacy arrangements, or a a major diagnosis of a fertility threatening uh, nature, like a new diagnosis of severe endometriosis. Until that's properly treated, that can, in some cases, can render women infertile. And then whether funeral and bereavement leave is paid or unpaid, they would have to define whether the obligations and time missed would have to be make, made up and whether makeup time would be paid, which are extremely important to consider when you're actually trying to make this change and implement this in a, a real world environment. Three to five days is extremely reasonable. Um, and I also think it's reasonable that no employee should be required to take minimum leave. Um, If if an employee is saying that, you know, four days after they've had their miscarriage, they are wanting to get back to work and that gives them the drive to move forward in their life, then they shouldn't be kept from doing that. But certainly now I think there's definitely a sense of obligation that they have to return to work as soon as possible, especially in STEM fields. And then if you're unable to work, because of medical complications or because of um, a depressed mood, then I think you might implement things like sick leave and things like that. But at least out of the decency of our hearts, we should be able to give people three to five days that do not need to be earned in order to be implemented. It's also important that I know I'm using really gender normative language here, and I apologize for that. I will work on that. But... Um, This needs to be equally imparted on the pregnant person and their partner, regardless of gender or gender identity. Um, Of course, this should be applied to um, adoption arrangements, even if the partners are both men, obviously. Um, This is just about respecting the deep level of loss that people suffer and giving them the time that they need to recover. Current attempts to address this kind of issue, especially in Kentucky, are poor. Um, What's going through the House now at the state level during this 2022 General Assembly is basically just an effort to address the most cruel of employment environments and starting there. So Kelly Flood, my uh, local representative, and Susan Westrom have written House Bill 78, an act relating to bereavement, medical leave for loss of an infant. And like I said, this goes in the right direction. But even that the fact that this needs to be signed into law tells you how far we have to go from compassionate policies. This House bill states that an employer providing leave to its employees for illness, medical or other health reasons shall grant a parent's request to use that same leave for bereavement following a miscarriage or stillbirth during the third trimester of pregnancy. Or the death of a child during the first year of life on the same basis as if the employee were requesting leave for use during his or her own illness. Um, It also suggests that an employer that provides vacation and paid sick leave shall allow the parent to use that paid vacation time and paid sick leave time that they have accrued for um, similar losses, stillbirth during the third trimester or death of a child during the first year of life. And um, then that um, bereavement leave requests by parents must be made in writing to the employer within 14 days of the parents learning of the death of their child. The reason that this is so though well-intentioned, and I fully support it because it's better than what we have now, which is nothing. The reason that this is so sad is that vacation leave and paid sick leave need to be accrued over time in most cases. So if you have only worked at a workplace for three weeks and have the death of a child in your third trimester, there is a question as to whether that should be covered by, I think, three paid vacation or three paid sick leave days. You won't have accrued family medical leave at that point. There is basically no chance that you will be able to have paid time off to grieve the loss of your third trimester pregnancy. I think we also have to question why there is a stipulation that this be a third trimester pregnancy. Is it because almost everyone is completely showing at that point and there is no way to lie about your pregnancy? For example, if I were pregnant in the first trimester or the second trimester and it was kind of questionable whether I really looked pregnant, then I could potentially lie and just say I was pregnant and had lost the mis- had lost the pregnancy and needed 3 days off. Is it because you somehow magically become more attached to your pregnancy between the second and third trimester? I don't know. I feel that it this is, it seems to be born out of a concern that women will essentially be dishonest and um, use this paid leave um, at any time because they will just lie about having had a miscarriage. Pretty problematic. So what can we do about this? Um, I, I honestly believe that everyone has some level of action they can take on this topic. If you are in administration or you're an employer of some kind, You can work to change the policies in your own organization to cover bereavement leave as part of your funeral leave. Or if you don't have stated funeral leave, start there. Implement funeral leave. Expand it as you're able to to include events of reproductive loss. If you are a resident, advocate to the ACGME about having coverage for bereavement leave along with funeral leave. Advocate to your HR departments, I know at the University of Kentucky that's UK HR, and even GME, the residents, um, have their GME HR benefits completely based off of UK HR. So it's extremely difficult to change GME policy until UK HR does. So you can advocate to those in UK HR to add a bereavement leave for events of reproductive loss section to the funeral leave policy that's in place and has not been changed since December of 2013. If you are interested in contributing to this effort, if you would like a sample email that I have drafted um, and would like to send this to your HR group, to your um, employer, to the university that you're affiliated with, please, please, please email me at and I would love to send you the um, email that I have drafted and get more eyes on this topic. I have been trying to um, run this up the chain of command where I currently work and um, have been told that it's not on the agenda right now to have changed. I asked them how do things that are not on the agenda get on the agenda to be changed? And they told me that things do get considered kind of out of the blue when there seems to be enough public interest that it's a pressing topic. This has been done in in recent years by expanding the family and medical leave coverage for um, caring for children and elder care. They Basically, we're reviewing all of their family and medical uh, and disability policies over the past couple of years because of the COVID pandemic. If enough people demonstrate that they have been infected and do care about this, then these things can get brought forth as basically current enough, relevant enough, timely enough to be changed now and not wait a whole nother year while 10 to 20 percent of the pregnancies that occur in our enormous workforce of women are lost with no time for the women to absorb that grief. That was a bit, dark for the first topic, but I wanted to start with something I know a lot about. Um, I'm also interested in local topics like the sex ed curriculum that we don't have in Kentucky, the opioid epidemic, and the ways in which legislators are sometimes helping and sometimes hurting our ability to treat these patients. We'll talk about our quest for clean air and clean water here in Kentucky and the extremely complicated relationship that Kentuckians have with the coal industry. So all of these are topics that I wanna cover at one point or another. They're definitely going to require me to have some experts on the show. I hope to have on some local state level representatives and some leaders in emergency medicine, nursing, um, and public health. Bear with me if these only come out every two weeks or so until I find a system that works. Um, if you'd like to keep in touch with me, you can follow me on Instagram at JessAdkinsMurphyMD or on Twitter at Dr. Adkins Murphy, but I always welcome your emails as well. You can let me know what you loved about the episode, places where I missed the mark, ideas for future episodes, or if you just want to share your perspective on these topics. I know I have a extremely narrow view of these um, topics as a white girl from Lexington, Kentucky. So, um, I'd really like to kind of expand the voice of this project by having you all write into me. So thank you all for giving me a shot with this first episode. And I promise you they will, they can only get better from here, but until next time, this is Jess saying, may the world be your patient. Bye.